Hey everyone, glad you're here with us again on Sunday Rewind. This week, we're going to continue our series on racial solidarity in Lower Town, uh, where we are going to specifically be honing in on the relationship or the R aspect of Jamar Tisby's ARC model. So let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Josh and Paul. everyone. We're here again with Paul and Josh. Thankful to have them. So this is week three of our podcast on racial solidarity. But I want to I go back and look at what we've just a quick, a quick recap of where we've been the last two weeks. And we the first week, we really just was an introduction to this podcast, why we're doing this, kind of taking a break from our, our standard systematic theology kind of in our podcast on a topic that's really important uh, to our hearts. And so we just kind of talked about this idea of racial solidarity and introduced this. We're, we're actually going to dig into that a little bit more here in a minute, so I don't want to spend a, a lot of time talking about that. Uh, and then last week, we've been going through Jamar Tisby's uh, ARC uh, acronym of A being the awareness, R, the relationship, C, commitment. And so last week, the podcast was on the awareness, and it's vital. And again, we don't, we don't stop in that. We're going to keep that going and becoming more aware of where we're at. Um, and then this week, though, Specifically, will be on relationships on on this uh, document, uh, at least the the acronym, and then next week we will focus in on that commitment side of of things and what specifically as a church. Hopefully, we'll have some more concrete things as a church that we're going to be doing. That'll be announced here, obviously, but also um, you know on a, on a Sunday morning. So, all right. Uh, before though, we really jump into this aspect of the relationships. Uh, we do want to just have a quick note here uh, on Brianna Taylor. And and everything that happened uh, surrounding that, and and we could sit here and yeah, we could get into the the story and the fact, and we just spent a, a long time before we just kicked this off, just talking about this whole situation. And as as the the lead pastor of Hope Community Church Lower Town, uh, without a fact, uh, without hesitation, I can say that Black Lives Matter. And there's nothing in me that says I need to uh, justify this. Uh, there was actually a, a comedian. And I don't remember his name. Maybe one of you guys would know him. But he he was like, where where are we at that we are struggling with saying Black Lives oh, Matter? Michael Shea. Michael Oop, Shea. Michael Shea, where he goes, well, like, what do we need? What else then? What's behind that? Like, Black Lives exist? You know what I mean? Like, we're just trying to say they matter. And and I don't have a problem saying that. But I know you guys wanted to talk a little bit more about that, just in, in theological clarity on, on this topic. Yeah, and thanks for bringing that up, Brian. Yeah, the the goal here, and we, we just want to lay this out and— and kind of highlight where the Bible specifically, but more so just generally, talks about uh, life mattering and black lives mattering. And and why do we need to say black lives matter just in the first place? And and we look at uh, what's happened in our nation, and we see a group uh, being consistently marginalized or oppressed or experiencing violence at the hands of others. And so as we look at even the Breonna Taylor case, we do need to say that her life mattered. And justice matters in this case. If you're listening to the podcast, maybe later on, this was the week that the grand jury decision came down and there weren't charges for Breonna Taylor's death. And so we feel like with all that's happening in our nation and everything that's out there on social media and elsewhere, that we want to say Black Lives Matter. And actually that we can do that easily with biblical and theological clarity. And just to highlight that again, and we've mentioned it in the podcast previously, but we go to Genesis 1 and we get this account of God creating, and it says, and God blessed them, talking about humankind and and particularly uh, Adam and Eve, and said, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, or, and sorry, it says, 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We've got this picture of God creating human beings in his image. And that means that all human beings are worthy of equal dignity, personhood, and worth, that people matter to God. And when we look at our nation right now, we're seeing that black lives, whether it's in the laws or in the hearts of individuals, don't matter in the same way that white lives matter. And so we need to say black lives matter. And we can do that without fear of uh, associating with any movements. We just say it because the Bible proclaims it. And, And just to add one more quote on that before I kick it over to Josh. Just a quote from Brian Stevenson, uh, lawyer and uh, founder of EJI, the Equal Justice Initiative. He just says, ultimately, our humanity depends on everyone's humanity. And if we go back to that Genesis 1 quote, and we see every human being made in God's image, but then we see in our nation a dissonance and people aren't being treated like they have equal personhood, dignity, and worth. We have to say our humanity depends on theirs, and therefore we must take action. And one of the easiest things we can do is simply say, Black Lives Matter. Yep, that's, that's good. That's a good word. Yeah. And, uh, and as, you know, as Hope Community Church Lower Town and as your elders, and, you know, with Brian as a pastor, um, you know, like we said, Black Lives Matter, and we are going to say that unashamedly as Hope Community Church Lower Town. And uh, Jarvis J. Williams, he's a pastor and he's a professor out at uh, Southern Theological Seminary. Uh, He wrote an article, and the article is titled uh, Black Lives Matter in the Bible. Um, So I'm just going to read a short quote from him that uh, summarizes how we're feeling um, in terms of this. And so Dr. Williams says, When black lives are dehumanized and treated as though they don't matter simply because they're black, Christians everywhere should be able to stand up and assert without hesitation and with their Bibles open that black lives certainly matter, have dignity, worth, and value, just as non-black lives certainly matter, have worth, dignity, and value. And then he has a, a closing two sentences. And so he said, it says, God created black people in his image. God redeems black lives in Christ. Black lives matter to God because the Bible teaches they matter. And that's where we're at as the leadership of Hope Community Church Lower Time. Um, Black lives matter because they matter to God. And so that's part of the reason why we have to look at our definition again. And kind of we're going to keep coming back to this as we go throughout this podcast, reminding us why are we calling it racial solidarity in Hope Lower Town? And and just pulling from from MiriamWebster.com, the dictionary. Solidarity is defined as unity as of a group or class that produces or is based on a community of interests, objectives, and standards. And it has like a a French etymology, meaning kind of wholesome or all of. And when we think about what the gospel teaches us and instructs us, we can go to a a passage like Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we have this great image where Paul's writing to the church and he's saying, Hey, Gentile church, you were actually far off. And you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then those who, who were close have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That he's actually made peace by the blood of his cross, creating in himself one new humanity in place of the two. Where there used to be enmity, where there used to be division, where there used to be divided causes and divided interests and divided objectives and divided standards. Now, because of the blood of Christ and his tearing of the veil and bringing us to God, We actually have a unified uh, and gospel impetus for solidarity. Another way the Bible then portrays that is that we're members of one another in the ways that body parts are members of an entire body. Or in another way we could even think about solidarity would be marriage. And uh, in the same way that when you enter a marriage, you're committing to a set of 
of principles and, and shared goals, uh, it's the same with entering the body of Christ, is that we're committing now to what God calls us to. And we are in this together. We are members of one another so that if there's unhealth or if there's things happening to you, they also impact me because we are in this together. That's great. Appreciate that. Yeah, there's, there's so, there's, man, there's so much there in those illustrations that we could just unpack for a long time. But for time's sake, let's jump into the R of this relationship. So, um, so we're, again, we're moving from this awareness. We're not moving on from awareness. Uh, we are just moving forward, continuing in our awareness to relationship. Yeah, right. And that's a great point. And awareness does make a bridge into relationship. Um, and, and so again, we're going to, reference a book that we're, we've referenced before and, and we're going to reference uh, in the future, which is Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise. And, and so again, at, we've recommended this book, go out and pick it up and give it a read, process through it with someone, uh, including, it could be us, if you have questions or thoughts or comments uh, from what you're reading. Um, but in his book, he's, he makes this move now. He talks about the A of awareness, and now he moves to R of relationships, and he says, but awareness isn't enough. No matter how aware you are, your knowledge will always remain abstract and theoretical until you care about the people who face the negative consequences of racism. He says, the problem is that it is hard to make friends with people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds. A public religion research institute study revealed that in a 100-friend scenario, white people had just one black friend, one Latinx, and one Asian friend. In that same scenario, black people had eight white friends, two Latinx friends, and zero Asian friends. Jamar says, The long history of racial segregation in this country, coupled with the tendency to associate with those most like ourselves, has left all of us in mostly homogenous social networks. And so even just in some uh, brief advice he gives here, he says, Start with the people you know. Most of us know someone of a different race or ethnicity. Have you talked with them specifically about their experiences and perspectives of race and justice? These individuals cannot merely be projects or sources of information. They are real people with whom to pursue a meaningful friendship. Still, it takes intentionality to diversify our social networks, and we should start with those nearest us. That's that's really good. I think one of the one of the things that just came to mind as you were uh, just going over that is uh, in my mind has been this idea of proximity. Uh, so here's what I mean by this. And, and you had mentioned just from that quote that you'd meant uh, uh, from, or you read from Jamar of, of just, you got to get to know them, right? I mean, if I don't know who the, the, this, this person, how could I ever understand what they're going through? And so what I mean by proximity is this, right? I just, just before this, I was talking, saw on the next door app that, that a neighbor just not, not too far, but not too close, their house burnt down. I don't know this person. I don't, I don't know them at all. And they've got a they've got a GoFundMe going, and I, maybe I'll give, maybe I won't. I don't know. But but if that was one of my neighbors or somebody that I knew, my my response would be very different uh, to that to that person. And so so when there's actually people that I know, people of color who are who are friends of mine, not just acquaintances, not just somebody I went to high school with, but fr- actual friends, and then we put ourselves as best as we possibly can in their shoes, that becomes very different. Uh, being able to understand these um, situations. Yeah, 
Um, so um, with Jamar's quote, you know, off the jump, he says, no matter how aware you are, your knowledge will always remain abstract and theoretical until you care about, peop- care about the people who face the negative consequences of racism. And so when I think about that, I think about the work that I do. So I'm a social worker. I'm with the public defender's office. And you see a lot of the intersection of, you know, race, poverty, socioeconomic status, education. You see all of these intersects. In a lot of ways, it just kind of magnifies and amplifies the structural racism that exists in our society. And so when I first started with the public defender's office, it was like a little over two years ago now. And my first time going into the Dakota County Jail was just a whole experience for me. Like I'd seen jails before and I'd like done, you know, kind of cursory tours, but I'd never like actually been inside of a jail. And then, you know, first time going to a jail, you know, that's that's really eye-opening. And then the first time talking to a client and meeting with a client and understanding, you know, what it is to actually be in jail and understanding the reality of the fact that you have to rely on friends and family and other people to support you when you're in jail because it's not actually free to be in jail. Like, you need money to make calls. You need money to do these certain things. And so for me, it's that idea, you know, that I was aware of issues. Like, I knew that we had issues in our criminal justice system, and I knew that we had, you know, issues related to mass incarceration. But until I really met and cared about my clients and understood their plight, it just remained abstract and theoretical. Like, it was like, okay, people are in jail, that's bad. But I didn't have a firsthand knowledge. I didn't really understand what it was until I met with a client, and he was like, I don't have the money to call, you know, my kids. And it's like, he can call me because I'm a professional, but he can't talk to his kids. And that was heartbreaking. And so I think as we talk about the arc and as we talk about relationships, we that's just key. Like knowledge can be theoretical and knowledge can be abstract, but until it's personal and until we have that intimate relationship with somebody, it's going to remain at a distance and it's going to remain a little bit removed and it's not going to bring the richness that a real relationship can have. Yeah, and that uh, that's a great point, Josh. And that's where um, Jamar continues and says, these individuals cannot merely be projects or sources of information. They are real people with whom to pursue a meaningful friendship. And so this is where relationship does take us from awareness to that next level because it becomes personal, meaning, meaningful, and relevant, as mm-hmm. Josh said. And so I think about one example uh, recently was the um, Ahmad Arbery case in Georgia. And I, after a couple months that came out that he was shot while jogging. And I, I because of uh, proximity, by the way, just as an aside, proximity does not always breed empathy. Definitely. There are many people who yep. are close together. You hear Capulets and the Montagues, right, if you're familiar. Um, but there are people that can be close together and yet have uh, enmity. Right. So proximity doesn't always breed empathy. I, I, my, I'm close to my wife, but I don't always understand what she's going through. I have to seek to understand and, and desire to. And so uh, just to add that, but but when Ahmad Arbery, when that information came out, uh, now because I've had, by God's grace, the ability to gain some diverse friendships uh, and the opportunity to gain some diverse friendships, that actually means something to me when that comes out. I, I actually, that, that ruined two days of my life, and I'm okay with that. Uh, and I remember... Uh, specifically sitting on my love seat and just weeping, just sobbing, because I have friends that could have been Ahmad Arbery, but that actually don't go jogging because they know that they might end up in a similar circumstance or a similar scenario. And so it becomes personal and it becomes meaningful and relevant to me. These don't then remain abstract uh, people out there 
that this can happen to people that I love, and now I'm invested. And so that's, uh, just to add to what Josh is saying, this is what, uh, and Jamar is saying, this is why we can't simply remain in awareness, uh, because it's easy to have a distorted view, even being aware, until we invest and get to know people personally and have a stake in their lives as well. Yeah, I just, just if you, when you stay in awareness, which is good, right, but, but only there, uh, right, that's where I, I always think of this, uh, of, of Karate Kid, the first one, you guys, you've seen it, I'm sure. And, uh, and, and, uh, Daniel is trying to learn karate and, uh, and, and is, what's the guy's name? The sensei, what's his name? Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. Sorry. I don't know how I could forget. He, uh, he meets Daniel and he sees him reading from a book and he's like, you learn karate from a book. And it's like, you can't, you can't just stay there. Right. I can, I can learn a lot, right. I can read a lot. I can read a lot of the history and the atrocities that have happened. I can read about historical things that are going on and, and systemic things that are still happening. But if I stay there, right, again, and I, and I said this on Sunday this last week, we, it, it, this should move us to it. The gospel should move us into actually taking the next steps into actions. And that's what this is. That's what we're talking about, actually moving forward into relationships. And if I can add just one more thing. Uh, so, Paul, you know, you opened up your your last little section and you said, these individuals cannot merely be projects or yeah. projects or sources of information. And so we're talking about real intentional, deep friendships. Um, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you just have, you know, somebody who's of a different race and, you know, the only time you text them is when you see something that might affect them or you just only ask them questions and it's not that reciprocal relationship. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living life with people. We're talking about empathy, entering into people's struggles. You know, Paul's example, you know, as as a married man, same deal. I might know what my wife is, you know, I might know what's happening with my wife, but I'm I don't understand it unless I seek to enter into that. And when we talk about friendships, it's the same thing. Like if we just keep it in arm's length and we j- if we just use people as resources or if we just use people as, you know, our like token friend, that's not okay. We need to enter into their life, enter into their struggles and work to to gain understanding and to build a deep and meaningful and fruitful relationship instead of just leaving it as, you know, checking a box like, you know, I have my one friend who looks different than me and then mm-hmm. I can move on with my mm-hmm. life. That's good. Yeah, and so let's talk more about just what that means. And, and I think... Um, just to build off that idea, uh, we want to just talk a little bit about friendship, and and how how so we're moving from awareness, and and here's the the excellent reality that as someone who's gaining awareness, who is also willing to enter in and listen and learn, you are going to set yourself up to gain relationships that you might not have otherwise had. And here's what I mean by that: I went to a training back when I was in the education field on on race, racism in education. And a, a black woman got up and said, up here in the North, I know within three seconds whether someone has my back or is at my back. And I thought it was a very poignant thing to say, and it made a lot of sense for me, that she's she's connecting with people and she can kind of tell almost instantly if they are concerned and willing to listen to her and are aware of things that might impact her life or if they're dismissive and are not going to be really invested in her as a person. And so be we talked about it in our last episode on awareness, but it's important to remind us we could we have to be a listener and a learner. And and really this is what has been encouraging to me as a white man uh, entering into some of these spaces that open ears are very refreshing to people who are used to being uh, dismissed or not heard completely. 
uh, or ignored when they share their experiences. And so you are, when you listen with an open ear, you're actually demonstrating that you're a trustworthy person. And and you're not, and this is the beauty of it too, being shown grace by people because they're not expecting you to have it all figured out or to be perfect. But if you're demonstrating that I'm willing to take steps to understand where you're coming from, and I'm not going to put up walls of defensiveness when you raise things to me that are hard. And so actually C.S. Lewis has a quote that I think is helpful when we get to this idea of moving from awareness to relationship. He has a quote on friendship and he says, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And wait. when we're doing that, we're moving from awareness to... That really is what friendship is I know, in so I was many say, ways. Wait, did we just become best friends? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> that really is what friendship is. But in this, in this context, what I, I like to highlight that quote to say, when you are gaining awareness now, you're setting yourself to be that kind of person who can say, I know what you're going through too. I thought I was the only one. Or maybe I, I'm becoming more aware of this. And you are already aware of it. And now you're forming the potential for common bonds and common understanding, which is so key in a friendship. Yeah. Even just on that, there was way back in the day, this is like 10, 10 years ago, uh, started really full-time ministry. I was out in New York and we were, we were doing like, it was called a, I don't know, lack of better term evangelism training, if you will. But the whole point of it, it was called the story. And the whole, the whole point of that was just, just that, just, just listen to people, go up and ask them prompting questions without thinking about my response. How am I going to respond to this? How am I going to, and we would just, we would just talk. I mean, just go up to a random person in, in Central Park or wherever we were and just, just ask them, ask them questions, you know, about their life and about, and, and, and then when you actually listen to those people, maybe it was different in the, in a city, um, but probably Minneapolis, St. Paul, there's probably a lot of that, that you, that we're surrounded by so many people and yet we probably don't have a lot of close friendships and people that just don't listen. Even when we say something online or Facebook or any, anything, you've got a million people that are ready to tweet back or whatever that, that don't know you, right? They have this one little thing. And so when we just listen to their story, it then actually even opened up, not just a, a friendship or, or a way to get to know somebody, but it actually opened up gospel conversations of like good ways just to say, oh, wow, that's how you think. And well, hey, what do you think? And just, there's just something about actually everyone has a story. Everybody's got a story and it doesn't need to be about me, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be about us, period. Yep. And yeah. I think when we talk about listening, like you two have highlighted, there's a difference between listening to hear somebody and to really enter into their story and listening to respond. Yeah. And you see that with the Pharisees. They have questions for Jesus, and they're not listening to what he's saying. They already know how they want to try and entrap him. They are like, okay, we're going to ask Jesus this question. He's mm-hmm. going to give us a response, and then we're going to be able to trap him with whatever we say. Yeah. And that's not what listening looks like. It's taking a step back and not making it about yourself. Because ultimately, when you do that, you're making it about yourself. And listening isn't about you. It's about the person who you're entering alongside. You're entering into their story. Mm-hmm. And you're working to to build understanding, to build a relationship. And that can't happen if you're just listening to respond. You need to listen for the sake of listening. And like I said, you can't make it about yourself. Like, it's not about you. It's about the person whose story that you're seeking to enter into. And the person who, like Paul said, 
you know, has been marginalized. Maybe they've never really had anybody listen to them. And you can you can show them grace and you can take an incredible step by saying, you know what, I'm here to listen. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to interrupt. I'm not here to question your experience. I'm just here to listen. And I'm here to get to know you. And I'm here to build a relationship with you versus whatever else might have happened in your previous experiences with people. Right, right. And that, I mean, the thing is what's, I mean, I just, when you're, you're saying that, again, I'm not even listening. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. That's not true. Brian, come on. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is this happened that what you just said, though, happens all the time. And you think about even politically right now, I don't care what who what it is going on right now. But any any party uh, all across the board, any news anchor, anybody, they're on the street, and they're going and what do they do? They say, why are you voting for that candidate or what do you like about that candidate? And they don't care what that person's going to say. They're immediately their response is, well, what do you think? Well, what about this? And look, what about this and this and this? And they're not actually listening to people, right? Let's not be like that. <laughs> and let's actually get to know people and care for them and listen to their response. So uh, anything else specifically there? Because I want to kind of make a shift in here than the how, like, like, like more the practical side of it. So any other things you want to add to that? Yeah, I think uh, one thing to come back to. So as we're talking about friendships and we're talking about the reality that, you know, in the surveys, um, you know, as looking at the context specifically of Hope Lower Town as, you know, predominantly white um, congregation, looking at, you know, why, you know, people might be lacking in integrated relationships and with, you know, cross-cultural relationships, we have to take a step back and look at the systemic reality of things. And so looking at what it is, what a suburb is. Um, and so we touched on it last week, but just understanding that systemically things have happened and suburbs have been created explicitly to keep certain people out and to bring certain people in. And so our small group is going through the color of compromise right now. And so we just got to a chapter that has a shout out for my wife's hometown. So my wife is technically from Kimberly, but it's right next to Appleton, Wisconsin. And Appleton, Wisconsin was a city that was built explicitly for white people. And so understanding that given our context and given, you know, where we grew up, a lot of times there is history and there's racialized history. That means that certain people, a lot of times white people, were encouraged to move out of the city. They were encouraged to, you know, move to the suburbs. You know, they could have their house with their white picket fence. You know, the 2.5 kids, they could have all of that, and they wouldn't have to see other people. And so when we think about the difficulty of building friendships, we talk about proximity. Mm -hmm. If you look around and there's nobody who looks differently from you, you're going to have trouble building friendships cross-culturally because your context is going to be people who just look like you. And so we have to break that mold. We have to be willing to go outside of our comfort zones and go outside of our silos to build those relationships because it can't happen organically because society has said, you know, certain people live here, other people live here, and there's not really ways for us to organically come in contact. And so we have to we have to actively do that. And we can't just passively hope that these friendships are going to fall into our lap. That just isn't going to happen. Right. Right. Okay. So that's, that is, that's perfect. Right. So then, so let's talk about the, that aspect of then how we do, how do we do this? Right. I mean, I, I live in the suburbs, but I have several black friends uh, and Latino friends and Asian friends that live in the community. Um, so how is it that we can do that? Uh, even though we might have, well, I don't have a, I've got a brown picket fence, but it's not, it's not white, but either way, how is it that we can be intentional, right? So let's talk about that. What are some ways that we can be intentional intentional to have relationships when we aren't within maybe immediate proximity, whether that's where we live or maybe even our job? Um, can you guys talk into that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, so um, as we go back to that, uh, the quote from Jamar Tisby and from his book, The Color of Compromise, talking about relationships, he has some practical action steps for us. 
Uh, so he says, some action steps to develop interracial relationships include finding places to hang out. We are creatures of habit and convenience. We go to particular places simply because they are familiar. A purposeful effort to develop relationships with people from diverse backgrounds will carry you to different restaurants, grocery stores, and hangouts. If you strategically organize your, uh, your spatial habits, the mundane places where you enact your regular routines can become the richest, the richest sites to encounter those who are different from you. Join a sport club a sport, club, or activity with people who are different. In my experience, other than people who have been involved with the military, those who have the most diverse networks of friends have participated in some sort of activity that brought them into frequent contact with people of other races and ethnicities. You may have to engineer these opportunities, but they can lead to organic friendships that cross traditional lines of social division. Yeah, and so just building off that quote and what Josh had said about uh, things like Appleton and, and that example, uh, we have to, if you if you look around at your friendships, and I look around at my friendships, and I say, "Wow, these are not. This is not a very diverse network of friends." I'm going to have to change what I normally do in order to pursue that. And I think that's what Jamar is highlighting when he says uh, that we've got to and may have to engineer these opportunities. And and I think maybe some people might hear that and say, "Oh gosh, is that now? I'm just trying to go out with a you know and seek some." No, he says it. You can. This can lead to organic friendships that cross traditional lines of social division. So, so we've got to be willing to look at some of those things. Where do I shop? Where do we buy groceries? Where are we looking to move, possibly, or where are we looking to buy a house? Why? Why did we? Why do we want to make that choice? Um, is there a class? Is there a service opportunity? Uh, and and is there a network or or some way that I can actually um, just be around people that are different than me? Uh, and and really, we've, we've got to take those steps. We've got to be willing to do that if we, and, and I think we all need to, um, because when we look at it again, the data suggests that we aren't going to have integrated relationships. And really, if we don't end up with integrated relationships, we'll stay kind of more in that awareness lens, but we won't have that personal stake. We won't be moving toward solidarity with individuals and with groups. Yeah, that's great. Um, so we've got kind of like a list of here of, you know, volunteering, right. Taking a class, joining a club of some, some sort, um, common interests groups, right. As a, you know, book or dinner club. What is a dinner club? Can you explain what that is? It sounds awesome. I just got these off the internet Oh, oh, because they're cool ideas. Yeah. Dinner club. Actually, Invent was, a dinner club and do it. Well, if you're out I there was in Wisconsin listening. recently and, uh, for my 10 year anniversary and it was this tiny little town and I said, Hey, where's a good place to go to dinner? And they said, well, this place, that's like city food um, or this place. It's a dinner club or this place. It's a, well, maybe it's called a supper club. Oh, they have supper clubs in Wisconsin. What is it? Right? Okay. What's a supper club then? Is it the it, same thing? It, it's basically where people go to have <laughs> beverages. You go to have beverages. Like typically there's like a larger, like, you know, hall maybe where you can like gather, you know, they might have special meals on like Easter where like you can come and get like. I'm going to offend some people here, but some super bland fried chicken that they yeah, think yeah, is right. the greatest thing That's ever. Um, you can you can get <laughs> married there. So um, so maybe some Our clubs. producer on the podcast, Andrew. Um, so our wives are from very similar places in Wisconsin, and there's a place called the Darboy Club, which I don't think we still understand, but it's like a thing. Like, it's the Darboy Club. It's a supper club. Like, you go there if you want to have a nice meal. Like, maybe it's your grandparents, you know, 50th anniversary. It's like, it's kind of like a social hub. 
where you can get some nicer food, but at the same time, there's also like different things for you to do there. Like Paul said, it's Wisconsin, so of course you can get a beverage of your choice. <laughs> All right. Yeah, to add to that, maybe some more ideas would be like uh, Facebook groups. You know, we for for us, we moved into the North End neighborhood of St. Paul, and there's a group there. There's there's neighborhood groups, and then you from there you can find events and different community events or neighborhood events uh, where you can meet people. It's actually we don't need to overcomplicate this. Um, it really is just going into different spaces than you're used to going, reconsidering where you go to shop, reconsidering what hobbies you might pursue. Um, and, and you'll find yourself in those situations and you'll be able to make that make different friends cross-culturally, especially when you come in with that posture that says, uh, I'm willing to listen, I'm willing to learn. I've done some research and some, learned some things on my end. Um, and you start to move toward that more personal connection. Yeah. Uh, and just, to, just real quick, another thing to add to the listening idea. Um, here's a great phrase. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that, Paul. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> right? That's all, that's all it takes, right? Thank you for sharing that. Um, but I, I, And then from there, I think as you move toward uh, kind of pursuing those relationships and God's blessing that, find someone. And this, this has kind of been my journey, and that, so I want to encourage uh, others with it. Uh, find someone that you can just bounce things off. A person of a different ethnicity, uh, a black person, uh, uh, someone that you can say, hey, hey, what do you think about this? Or how do you respond when this happens? Or what, how do you read this news event? Um, maybe you do some things with them where you end up having shared experiences and then you get to process with them and, and you go, here's what I experienced at that event. And they're like, oh, well, that's encouraging for you, but here's what I experienced at that event. And you can learn and have, and hear hard things maybe of how that thing went. You can learn from their insights you can understand how they've read a Bible passage or heard a sermon differently than you. And really it is that, again, you're in that posture of, oh, I didn't experience it that way, but it makes sense that you did. And that's really been my journey uh, in different relationships that I've had. It's really coming to understand how someone else saw it from their perspective. Uh, and that, that just continues then when you can say, oh, I hear you on that. Thanks for sharing that, uh, that you can continue to knit that friendship together. Yeah, one pr- really practical sp- space uh, right in Lower Town is is just the Creators Cup or Creators Space. Uh, it is uh, incredibly diverse in, in that community, um, and so for me walking in because I'm a member, I teach some classes there, and so I've that's I've built a lot of relationships with people there over the years, and uh, so that that's right there, right? I, I you know for a lot of us that commute to Lower Town. Uh, that is a great space to get connected, meet some people that live right there in the neighborhood. Uh, go look at their art. Go walk around that that building. You you will be convicted just by the artwork that's in that building. It's phenomenal. But don't go in the basement because you might not come back. It is. It's a big. It's a big building. It's a, it is a really it is. Some, something. It's a big. If space. I hadn't been with you two, I would have. I would have been like, nobody's gonna find me here. <laughs> like, this is this is the last stand. It's a very big building. And I think to add to that, even as we look at Lower Town, like there's a farmers market at Lower Town. If I think back to my childhood, my mom made friends with like any and every vendor at farmers markets. She would like build relationships with them. They would like save produce for her. She would like haggle with them. 
It's like, I mean, she just has an ability to build friendships. And just thinking about where we shop, like go to the farmer's market, you know, get to know people who are bringing in produce from some different places. I think something else that we can do is, you know, things like community education classes. Like those exist for a reason, and those are a great way to meet your neighbors. And a lot of times the people who you see in community education classes are going to be a different demographic than you might see elsewhere. And that's just a natural way to build relationships. You can take a cooking class with someone. You can take, you know, a hip hop dance class. There's a lot of things that are offered and a lot of really easy, practical ways that just take you outside of your comfort zone. And it's something that you can do. And like Jamar says, you know, you alter your routine, but you can organically build a friendship with somebody. Like as you're sitting, you know, cooking this meal with somebody, you can build a relationship with them. It doesn't have to be forced and it doesn't have to be contrived. It's just you taking a conscious and active effort to do something different. And from that, building a new relationship. Yep. And wouldn't you know it, cooking classes, hip-hop dance, those are both offered at the Creator Space. Wouldn't you know that? Wow, That's look cool. at that. Phenomenal are they sponsoring plug. this podcast? No, they're not. You're, you're <laughs> not. Remember, they're and I'm also their biggest customer. <laughs> no, they're, they're great. No, Graham, uh, Guillermo, it's his, the chef's name. He's a fantastic guy. That's awesome. Anyways, uh, great. So, Oh, I also have another thing that I, I just okay. thought of. Um, and this is something that I've, I've talked with a few people at Lower Town. Um, so as we talk about, you know, where we do certain things, um, just a practical example, thinking about where you get your haircut. Um, so I'm a black man. I go to a black barbershop, although currently I'm searching for a new barbershop. It's a process, and you'll learn why as I share a little I've bit more. I've got some clippers. I, you are not getting anywhere near my head. <laughs> no, that's no. <laughs> like, no. I love you, but no. I'll do it uh, for free. <laughs> You would have to pay me a significant amount of money (laughs) to inflict that kind of violence upon my head. Uh, So I usually go to black barber shops. I had one experience where I went to Great Clips as a kid, and I got the worst haircut I've ever had in my life. Like my my mom took us there because I don't know why, and it was just – I was – as traumatized. Well, I feel the same way about great clips. But when it comes to going to a black barber shop, there's a relationship that happens with my barber. Like I build relationships with my barbers. Like they have my phone number. I have their phone number. We text. Sometimes they'll ask me about my work. Sometimes they have questions about different things. You know, like one of my barbers moved to Texas and, you know, he still texts me pretty regularly. So there's a relationship that's built there. And just thinking about that and thinking about how I'm able to build relationships with somebody like, I know for some people, you go to a barbershop, you don't have the same barber. Terrifying concept to me. Some people don't like talking to their barber. Also a terrifying concept for me. But just that experience of being able to, you know, meet with somebody and join with somebody and, and build a relationship. Like thinking about, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and going to a different barbershop and seeing what that might be like. And honestly, that's a really low stakes way to do it. Um, you know, it's a haircut. We all need to get our haircut. Maybe not you, Brian, because you let it grow wild. But we all need to get our haircut. You know, we all have these routines that we can do. And that's just a really great way to build a relationship with somebody who you might n- not encounter normally. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, and uh, yeah, one that I now I cut my hair at home, uh, just partly what? because I'm an introvert. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it is, uh, and that's just that pattern as we're highlighting again of of reconsidering your social uh, networks, your cultural networks, and saying where can I invest? And and to add one more, uh, volunteering and serving. And this is uh, this for me has been personally rich as far as gaining understanding. Uh, seeing different angles on issues than I ever have before. Um, and as I shared, I think in the intro podcast, just working in the school system, but uh, volunteering, serving, and, and being willing to serve in, in contexts that aren't your own. And actually, this 
uh, getting anywhere that you can get outside your normal context. Uh, this one's kind of funny. Um, my friend Nate and I, he worked, used to work for NPR, and they hosted a, a large group evening uh, where they actually they have a up in their uh, higher in the building in downtown. They have a room that is capable of doing large group radio shows. So we went into this room, uh, and it was the the topic was um, how can white women be better allies to black women? And he asked me if I wanted to go. I said absolutely. Let's check it out. Uh, well, Nate and I walked in, and there were about two hundred and fifty people there, and we were the only two men. And actually, this is a good just a real quick. Um, uh, reflection question, how often are you the minority in the room? And if you're a woman listening, it might be more often than, uh, but but for me as a white man, it's very rare that I'm a minority in a room. And so that was quite an experience to be the lone uh, white man in a room of 250 women of diverse uh, ethnicities and backgrounds. Uh, and then my friend Nate uh, being there and, and uh, Really, just sitting in that room, learning a lot. Unfortunately, at the end, they asked me to uh, if what my takeaway was, and I was like, "Ah, it's, I don't, we don't need to do that." But I did share something. <laughs> bum- I bumbled over something, but um, it was really just a, that example of an experience. But, but with that, and 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 that's kind of that idea, uh, this idea that I'm going to share with volunteering and beyond, uh, which is don't speak into a community, and we have to check ourselves on this. Don't speak into a community or into a problem until you've served that community. Don't speak into a community until you've served that community. And, and what I mean is, uh, if you're from afar, it's very easy to think, this is that, this is the solution, here's the issue, here's the here's what they need to do, That here's what they got to do to fix it. But when you get up close, it changes your perspective on things, and it actually shuts you up, or it, it, it has for me, uh, in my journey, I should say. Yeah, I think when you say that, I think back to my time teaching, you know, as a as a 23-year-old, you know, recent college grad who just done a year of mission work, you know, going into a classroom and being like, how can people have out-of-control classrooms? These are children. Then, like, after a week, it's like, oh, like, I, I don't have the ability to, like, harp on anyone for whatever happens <laughs> in a classroom because I didn't know what it's like to be in a classroom with kids until then. And then I was like, okay, this this is how that happens. And so I think this is something that we're missing currently. So we hear a lot of people speaking about communities or, you know, different things, and they don't live in those communities. They don't work in those communities. Mm -hmm. They don't serve in those communities. They don't have a relationship with those communities. And like Paul said, you can't speak into something that you don't have an experience with. Mm -hmm. It's unfair. It's wrong. It's arrogant. And so unless you have a relationship and unless you've invested in something, you're not qualified to speak into it. Yep. That's, That's good. That's a good word. Yeah, so we just want to talk about then, we're talking a lot about relationships and different kind of essentials of building relationships and, and what what do we do, why do that. And, and I just want to look at and, and talk about looking ahead and kind of dreaming and being hopeful. And what does our relationships, what, what is pursuing this cause our racial solidarity to look like? And so we start with that listening. And kind of pursuing and growing in that relationship. And, the, and you'll find yourself then grieving together with people. That when they go through something or a hardship happens with them, that you experience it as well. Maybe not of the same magnitude. and yet, But yet you feel it and experience it. And you are, now this is the beauty of solidarity. You're saying, I'm in here with it. I've got my arm around your shoulder and we're going to keep moving forward. Right? And you're building empathy now. And the, you're, you're starting to understand 
why this matters so much. For me, an example briefly was when I finally got it when Philando Castile was shot. And other, I saw people lamenting about it. And I finally understood how people it, uh, can experience things communally that I didn't get in my kind of individualistic mindset. And so you grieve together with people. And then we talked about a little bit last week in awareness uh, that you might get into conversations. And really, here's where you're moving and taking that relational commitment at stake and that awareness and moving into advocacy. And so advocacy can look like many things, but it most certainly looks like courageously speaking up in situations where you can gracefully correct someone. And what I mean by that is I've found myself, and I think people that are moving in these spaces find themselves in conversations with family members, with friends, with maybe people within their church, with people in their networks, that say things that are misguided and unhelpful. Someone, for example, might share with you a Candace Owens video. And actually what they're doing right there uh, is, is speaking into something, using someone else as a mouthpiece instead of investing, right? Instead of actually pursuing action. And they're saying, well, look at this though. And that's someone that's speaking from afar. Yeah, and they're, so they're weaponizing someone's voice and it's like, it's not what we're here for. Mm. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so and you might find yourself, and that, that actually is a good evidence that you're starting to understand this more, and that these relationships that are personal to you aren't remaining in, in that bubble, but you're actually taking your investment and your stake, and you're being willing to risk uh, frustrating your family members, frustrating friends, challenging them. It's a cost. It's a, there can be a relational cost, but ultimately it means that you're willing to share things that you can't look away. That in good conscience, you can't sit idly by when you hear things being said that you actually, but, and we do this with grace. We do this with love. We share and say, here's actually, let me, let me put my arm around you and just share how maybe I think you're seeing it incorrectly. And here's maybe another way you could be seeing it. And let me correct you gently. Um, but, but when we do this, it will be costly. Um, and it should lead us to that action. So we have advocacy and it, it leads us to action when we have that personal stake Again, we can't sit idly by. Uh, and we have just a couple examples of one of them being, uh, he actually passed away this week. And again, uh, last week we talked about history being so important, the context of history and, and awareness and understanding where we are. Uh, but we wanted to highlight uh, Reverend Robert Greats. Uh, and he, so he was a white reverend who was in the Lutheran Church uh, during the civil rights movement in the mid-century. Uh, um, and he went and, and served in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, and his wife recalls in an interview uh, that he was told that he would promise not to start trouble. Well, he went down to Montgomery, Alabama, and she laughs and says, well, he did not start the trouble. He just joined the trouble. And, and obviously, when we say that, we mean good trouble, right? Advocating for civil rights, for equality, for equity. Uh, that's to coin the phrase from John Lewis, who recently passed away. But But he goes down to Montgomery, and he he unites himself to the cause of these uh, black people who are fighting for their civil rights. And so it says uh, the, that uh, the call to boycott the bus system was problematic for many black workers in Montgomery. This article from NPR. Uh, because they depended on bus transportation to get to and from their jobs, greats immediately now began organizing carpools to assist with their transportation needs and spent three hours each morning driving people to work in his car. Why is he taking on that cost? Because he's got personal stake because of relationship. He became aware when he moved to Montgomery. He developed relationships, and now it says it continues. In Montgomery in 1955, 
that was enough to make Greats a target of the Ku Klux Klan. It says, twice his house was firebombed. Neither he nor his wife nor their young children were injured, but a third bomb thrown at their house was enough to kill them all. Fortunately, it did not detonate. Greats and his wife also faced death threats directed at them and their three children, one of them a toddler. The FBI urged them to leave Montgomery. They stayed. Uh, so this is someone who's taking on a lot of cost and a lot of risk because he's developed that relationship and he's taking action, action that serves to uplift the dignity and humanity of fellow image bearers. And not only that, to live in solidarity with brothers and sisters of Christ. And so there's actually a quote here that I just want to kind of conclude on in this illustration for this reverend. Uh, And he says, it was the people of God of his actions in the civil rights movement in general. And we think about our, our context. It was the people of God putting into practice their understanding of what God meant for their lives to be like, Great said. In Montgomery, it was black Christians teaching white Christians how to be Christian. And the reason why we bring that up and, and highlight that quote is because when we start to move in solidarity with people, we're actually living out the gospel. This love one another command. Jesus says, here's, here's, you want to know the greatest command, Jesus says in, in John 15? Lay down your life for your brothers. You want to live like me, the one who washed your feet, the one who is going to go to the cross for you? This is where true life is. It's in solidarity and love with one another. And so that's what he's saying when he's, he said, I was there and I was learning from black Christians what it meant to be Christian as I lived in relationship and solidarity with you. It's a good word. It is. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's Reverend, uh, not Reverend, there's uh, Pastor Gates and there's other examples that we see. And when we think about, you know, our relationships leading to, to racial solidarity, we can also think back to, to civil rights and think back to Archbishop Iacobos, who was from the Greek Orthodox Church. And he was one of the few non-black clergy, along with, you know, Pastor Greats to march with Martin Luther King. And he was really the only church leader who was down there, you know, leading. And so as we think about that, like Paul said, our relationships move us to racial solidarity, and it's an expression of the gospel, and it's an expression of who we are in Christ, and what, um, and the work that God has done in our lives, and the work that God is going to continue to do through our lives. Yeah, and I and I can guarantee you those those two gentlemen probably got a lot of flack from their denominations that were white or their churches that were white for them making stances like that, right? Yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. And, and yeah, to build off of Josh's point that this has a missional component now, because that what we reference is people standing with brothers and sisters in Christ. But when, the, when we are shown to be doing that, that puts the church on display. That says to people outside the church, you can be welcome here, you belong, and you matter. And that's important, right? That's what we want to be showing people and communicating as Hope Lower Town, especially as we think about uh, different things that are happening and how we want to be drawing people to our church and encouraging them as we are encouraged in the gospel. And so just as we kind of conclude here, uh, and just to put a cap on this, we have a quote from artist and activist Lilla Watson. And she says, if you've come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you've come here because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And what she means it partly, and Josh is going to help us unpack that even more, what she means is, I'm not a project, I'm a person. And if you are going to show solidarity, work with me, we can work together. I will work with you if you're willing to be committed in the same way that I need to be committed because it's impacting me. 
Yeah, and as we think about that quote, uh, it takes humility. So we need to be humble and we need to understand that as we approach this work that we aren't saviors. So if we go back to the examples that Paul and I just gave, you know, these are men who came down to partner with what they saw was happening. And even that quote of, you know, Pastor Great's talking about how they had to learn from what was happening in Montgomery, Alabama. Like, we're not saviors. We need to be humble. We're entering into a relationship and we're learning. And so we're partners working together in solidarity towards the end goal of justice and equity. And we need to think about it that way. Like, we're not saviors. We don't, we're not riding in on a white horse. No, we're coming in. We're entering into people's suffering. And once again, we look back to Philippians 2. We take the example of Jesus. We don't consider anything too closely. We look at it and we don't grasp it. And so we humble ourselves and we look at how we can serve. Yeah. Wow. When you guys were talking, I just, it came to mind of just Moses, right? That the first Mm -hmm. time Moses tried to help his people, he, he just saw them as these slaves and yet they're in my bloodline. And so I'm going to do what I have in my power as someone in a position of power to to, to do this thing, and then right then he leaves, and it takes him 40 years, and then what, to finally enter into, like, these are my people, right? This is who yeah. I am, which is just kind of wild, right? Um, hopefully this won't take us 40 years uh, to enter into relationships with people, um, but... Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, because for Moses, it was clunky, yeah. and I think we have Super to be clunky. okay with, as we pursue this, it's going to be clunky. And again, I want to highlight, people will show you grace, especially when you show that humble heart and posture in pursuit of this. But but as we think about that clunkiness, and, and what is one action step that you can take? And here's where, where again, we're awareness and relationship and now commitment. This is part of commitment. On an individual, personal level, you listening to this Wisconsin accent with your ears right now on this podcast, <laughs> that, you that can think about... Wisconsin yeah, accent. Right, it's so smooth. Uh, consider your network, consider where you're living, consider your relationships, consider where you shop, where you work out, your hobbies, your service opportunities. Maybe it is just saying, I'm going to sign up for that service opportunity I've thought about. But what's an action step you can take as we think about and as we move to next time in commitment, we talk more about what can our church be committing to? What's an action step that you can take to spend more time with people who don't look like you and to learn from them and their experience? And I think, too, as we look at, you know, Hope Lower Town as, as a whole, thinking about what our vision is, we want to be more invitational. So we want to have a culture where we invite people in. And we want to have a culture where we invite people in, and we're also willing to step out of our comfort zones and enter into people's spaces as they invite us in. So it's a reciprocal relationship. So like Paul said, thinking about those opportunities, like what can we do to spend time with people who don't look like us? And not just spend time, but spend significant real time with those people. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and so I think just that call to action again. We're gonna be, we're gonna be looking at this more and specifically next week as we look into commitment, um, and and again specifically for Hope Lower Town. But if other people are listening to this podcast, then man, think about what you can do. You, you know, all these action steps that you can take as well, uh, pursuing these relationships. And so maybe whatever it is in that list that we discussed, right? Whether it's a, a supper club um, or a dinner club. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right, whether it's, it's I doing, don't know doing if the supper club is, is doing, quite we can have probably, probably not super diverse, maybe is that what dinner. we're trying to say? Um, there's uh, right with sports, right, and a sports team, right, uh, and, and following and, and a local a local team that uh, right. There's a lot of that hobbies, service opportunities, shopping different places, right. Um, you know, going to 
you know, creator space and join with different organizations. And there's, there's, a, there's a lot that we can do. And, and we'll hone that in specifically as a church, but you individually uh, can make some, some changes as well. And so I just want to end with just focusing on the gospel, spending a little bit of time on prayer. I know it's a podcast, but would you just pray with us here in a minute when we do this? Uh, but looking at the, at the parable that Jesus tells us in Luke 18, that you have this Pharisee, right, this religious leader, uh, who who looks up to heaven and he shouts out so everyone can hear him. Everyone, I want you to see my good deeds. I want you to know who I am. I'm a I'm a big shot. I'm here to help all of you. And he says, right? He he looks up and he prays and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man or like these other people. Right? They're below me, as if he was born in a certain way that made him better. Right? As if he had become educated in a way that made him superior to somebody else. And then you have this tax collector. And just for context, I'll just say the tax collectors, they weren't just like working for the government. Uh, that, that was part of it. But they were usually people that were in this in this context was another uh, Israelite uh, that was actually now working for the Roman government and collecting taxes for the Roman government. All right. So they're they're uh, invaders. This foreign government comes in and says, hey, we need some local people to collect taxes. That's them. Right, really, the the word that you could put in there is they're traitors, and and this traitor, this tax collector, it says that he can't even lift his eyes up to heaven, and he crosses his arms over his chest and he pounds his chest, just this posture of humility and and in a lot of ways just guilt and shame. But the gospel says that he's going to be forgiven, right? Mm-hmm. And he can't even look now. This guy, right? He's humble. He can't even look up to heaven. And he cries out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. All right? And then Jesus then says, who do you think was more justified, right, yep. in their actions, right? And it's like, yeah, well, of course. Well, man, it was the pastor, right? It was the Pharisee guy. No, no. It's this person who's, yes, not doing well, right? Made some, made some bad choices with their life. And yet they're going to say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so I have not made good choices in my life. And I am that tax collector. I am that traitor. I am that one that has read the gospel of Jesus Christ and not shared that with people um, for, a, for a lot of different reasons or haven't lived that. I haven't walked that gospel path like I talked in this last Sunday. So let's just end in prayer. Both of you guys, if you want to just pray and then and then we'll, we'll close it uh, after that. So, Yeah. Yeah, Father, we just seek your face. And um, even just knowing you as, as Father, Son, and Spirit, a God of community, a God from eternity in relationship with himself. Uh, and that you've sent your son to put you on full display, and that he says, uh, to live like me, lay down your life, as I am going to lay down my life for yours, that you might have life. And and God, we thank you that you've brought us into Christ, and that because we're in Christ, we can have solidarity. And so I pray for that as we think about relationship, and as we think about pursuing racial solidarity, would you guide, would you prepare those relationships for us? Would you just give us, God, humility in the same way that this this tax collector didn't look up to you but just sought your mercy? God, we praise you that we can't outrun your mercy, but would you meet us in it and give us the humility and the posture that we would be justified people who pursue justice? And one of the ways that we do that is by by being willing to step out of those comfort zones and make relationships, form friends. God, as you work organically in that, and we praise you for it, will you just bless us in this in this choice? Yeah. And uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us to 
resist the urge, Lord, to be like the Pharisee, God, and to, to think highly of ourselves, Lord, and to be haughty and to be arrogant, Lord, but that we would have the correct humble posture, God, that we would, Lord, humbly submit ourselves to you, Lord, and that we would seek, Lord, how we can serve, Lord, and that we would, Lord, take the ultimate example of Jesus, Lord, and not consider, Lord, anything too, too closely to ourselves, or that we would humble ourselves, Lord, and that we would seek to enter into this area. And Lord, I pray that as we enter into this area, Lord, I pray that we, Lord, would enter in boldly, Lord, but we would also, Lord, be aware that we might make mistakes, Lord, and that it might be clunky, as Paul said. But God, this is what we're called to do, Lord, and because of the work that you've done in us, Lord, we're called to, Lord, Lord, take that to the city and seek the welfare of our city. So God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to be transformed into our lives, Lord, and to enter into spaces, Lord, and to, Lord, have the have our lives be an expression of the gospel, Lord, and have our lives be a reflection of what you've done for us on the cross. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. So again, thanks for joining us in Sunday Rewind. We will be back next week uh, with another episode uh, specifically focusing on racial solidarity. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again for joining me today on Sunday Rewind. I hope it was informative as well as helpful in your everyday life as you pursue your walk with Jesus as Lord.